Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, I want to welcome you back to the program and uh, just uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, your support and faithfully watching us. We so, so appreciate uh, the cards, the letters, when you write to us, when you uh, uh, hit us on Facebook, go to my public profile page. My personal page doesn't have any more uh, uh, space for you to hit us on it, but uh, it's Lynn Hiles Ministries on Facebook if you want to follow us. Uh, but we appreciate uh, hearing from you. Uh, let me say quickly that uh, we've been teaching the book of Revelation now for s- somewhere near 80 weeks. So everything we've aired to date is archived uh, on YouTube and you can go back and watch it uh, at any uh, point that you would like to uh, say, well, I missed that today and I'd like to hear that again. It is available uh, f- for uh, viewing on YouTube. Also, you can go to iTunes and you can download the podcast with the audio portion of this. Probably somewhere in the future we will release an uh, audio version and perhaps we will release a video version as well of what we're uh, filming right now, but uh, that's something that's in the works for the future. I want to come back today, though, because we're dealing with the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation, and so I'm going to read again, and then we're going to jump in here, and we're going to come back and, and just unpack this over the next several weeks. But uh, chapter 14, verse 1 says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having their father's name written in their foreheads. Now, we shared with you last week, Revelation 3.12 says, To him that overcometh, uh, I, uh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is new Jerusalem. So he is telling you who this is in, in uh, uh, Revelation 14. It is those he promised it to who were overcomers in the church uh, it, uh, at uh, uh, the third chapter of Revelation. I'll write upon them the name of my God and the name of the city of God. I, I want to tell you that we are the people that are called by his name. We have a new name and a new nature, and because of that we have our Father's name written in our foreheads. And a voice, I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Now I'm probably, and they sang, they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn the song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Now, I probably won't get that far uh, in this particular segment. I do want to tell you that what this is powerfully uh, declaring here is that there is a lamb on Mount Zion. With that being said, I want us to look at the uh, 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and uh, we're going to contrast this with the Zion. What is Zion? The lamb is on Mount Zion. Now, I believe the powerful contrast here is the Lamb is not on Mount Sinai, but the Lamb is on Mount Zion. Now, let me go and, uh, and, and grab this for you uh, quickly in the book of uh, uh, Hebrews. This is the 12th chapter of Hebrews. I'm going to begin with verse number 18. It says, For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor under blackness and darkness and tempest, uh, 
and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now this mountain in Hebrews verses number 18 through 21 is Mount Sinai. It is this, this description is where God gave the law and came down on the mountain of uh, uh, Sinai and gave them the law. Now this is incredible to me because they are exactly 50 days after they have been delivered by Egypt by the blood of a spotless lamb. They are now at the foot of Mount Sinai exactly 50 days later. Exactly 50 days later, God comes down on the mountain and gives the people the law and the people with one voice said, we will do it and if we do it, it will be our righteousness. Now, I, I, you know, that's the wrong answer because your righteousness is like filthy rags. But the moment God gave the law, uh, 3,000 people dropped dead. Now, they were rebellious before that, but you see, the reality of it is where there is no law, there is no transgression. But you know, one of the things that I want you to see here is the moment God gave the law on Mount Sinai, uh, 3,000 people dropped dead. I want to I come back and get details here. In the New Testament, exactly 50 days after Jesus, who is the true Lamb of God, is sacrificed and the blood is shed, they are in an upper room. 50 is the number that means Pentecost. So on the day of Pentecost was fully come, it was 50 days after Jesus, had the Lamb, had been slain. And this time, He don't give them what I call rules on rocks. He gives them the Holy Spirit. So that in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit is to the New Covenant what the law was to the Old Covenant. And, uh, you know, uh, rather than rules on rock, God has now given a relationship. One of the things these people are forfeiting here is they are forfeiting their relationship. They're saying to Moses, you go up. You go talk to him. We're scared of this God. And, uh, <coughs> and so, you know, what happened was the people disconnected and, and God met with Moses and he met with, uh, uh, you know, Aaron and he met with them uh, in, inside of a most holy place, if you will. And, uh, but his ultimate desire was let them build me a house so I could dwell among them. God just simply wants relationship with us. But uh, the, the mount, he, one of the things he says is, you have not come to the mount, you have not come to the mount that might be touched. What is a tragedy to me is that's the mountain we bring people to every week in church, is the mountain that can't be touched. The one that's full of fear, trembling, and the voice of words, we bring them to a God they need to be afraid of. And, you, and, and so, so powerful here, even as well as this, I'm thinking, that people are still looking for a mountain they can touch. In other words, we want something we can, we want to smell the smoke of Sinai. We want to see uh, the altars of the burnt sacrifices. We, 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 we need the, uh, uh, the sound of trumpets and the voice of words. We, we need those tangible things and people are trying to go, are trying to go back to that. But what he's saying is we've not come to that kind of a mountain. In other words, everything in the old covenant was tangible and touchable. Say it another way. In the Old Covenant, the tabernacle and the temple was a building or a tent. In the New Covenant, the tabernacle or the tent is a people. 
In the old covenant, the bread that came down from heaven was literal physical bread that you could touch, handle, taste. In the new covenant, Jesus says, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. In the old covenant, there was a serpent on the pole that was literally raised up on a brazen pole. And in the new covenant, Jesus said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In the old covenant, there was a literal, tangible, touchable, feelable rock that followed them. In the new covenant, Christ is that rock. In other words, we've moved from the visible to enduring as seeing him who was invisible. We are moving from the natural to the spiritual. And so we're about to move into Mount Zion. One thing I want to say here as well that I recently just saw in reading Hebrews. Chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, it says this. Let me run, roll back there real quick. Uh, it says that by faith, let me find it. By faith, uh, Moses, this is verse 23, Hebrews 11, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, for a seizing, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. And by faith harlot, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Now what I'm after is, one of the things I noticed, and this is so good to me, is that the, where, where faith leaves off is, it says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Man, I'm going to say a lot about the Red Sea in future segments because we're going to see, uh, we're going to see what looks like blood to a horse's bridle later in this chapter. And it is drawing its imagery from this chapter. It is a Red Sea. But it says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Now you say, watch this. God doesn't mention anything from the time they crossed the Red Sea. He mentions nothing about the whole 40-year wilderness journey until they come into across the Jordan River into Jericho, and then he resumes talking about faith. I said, God, why is there nothing mentioned for 40 years in the wilderness journey about faith. And he said to me, because the law was given right after they crossed the Red Sea 50 days later, and the law is not of faith. Everything for 40 years was human effort, works, wandering about in the whole desert to bring them to the end of themselves where they begin, then again turn and be dependent upon God and say, we can't do this. And God said, now I can help you. It's going to take a miracle. It took a miracle to get you out. It's going to take a miracle to get you in. All God was looking for was someone who would be utterly dependent on him and have a personal relationship with him that he could lead them in. So the law is not of faith is what the writer of Romans chapter 10 says and also of Galatians, the whole book of Galatians, where when the law is preached, it shuts up faith. So the law is not of faith. So the next thing you see is they cross over uh, into Jericho and then God resumes this whole message of faith. I think it is incredible that what we're seeing here in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation is that they are crossing over out of Sinai.
they are leaving, if you will, Egypt, and they are crossing over. Uh, Their first stop is Sinai. And I've I've shared this before, but I'm going to reiterate right here because it's still powerful. Revelation 11 verse 8 said that their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Revelation 11 verse 8. Now, our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or in Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But what the Spirit did was make a direct connection with Egypt and Jerusalem, which is a, you know, I always thought of Egypt as being the bondage of the world. But it's not just the bondage of the world. It is the bondage of slavery that comes with a religious system. Because under the law, you're slaves. But in the new covenant, you're sons. In the new covenant, you've got your father's name written in your forehead. Hallelujah. That's powerful to me. Your father's name. He's your father. The whole paradigm of the new covenant shifts from him being this austere, mean, vicious God to he is your father. Jesus introduces the whole concept of God as a father and brings this back to a personal relationship when he says, John especially says, behold, what an incredible quality of love the father has bestowed upon you that you might be called the sons of God. Now, he goes on to say in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, you did not come to that mountain. You didn't come to Sinai. You did not come to blackness and darkness. You did not come to a God who says, stay away. You did not come to fear and trembling. You did not come uh, to a God who says, stay away. In the new covenant, God has given you not the spirit of fear again to bondage, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind comes from sound doctrine and perfect love cast out fear. And in the new covenant, we have power to become sons of God. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, power to become the sons of God, power to demonstrate God's power uh, of love because faith works by love. Everything works by love. And when you realize you're loved, uh, you, you do what you do, not because you have to, but because you're loved and you have a sound mind because you sit under sound doctrine. But you did not come to a God who says, stay away. You've not come to fear and trembling. Another thing that I think about when I think about the scripture that says, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so under the old covenant, it was the beginning. But in the new covenant, perfect love has cast out all fear. Somebody said, well, don't you believe we need to have the fear of the Lord? Well, I think it's interesting to note what the fear of the Lord is. When Jesus quotes the scripture uh, where it says, thou shalt fear the Lord your God, Jesus changes the word fear into worship. And he says to that, thou shalt worship the Lord your God. It is to me, the fear of the Lord in the new covenant is not, I'm scared to death of this God who's about to hit me over the head, but I have such an awesome reverence that there's a worship in my heart that wants to do what I do because of the awe of who he is, both to me, through me, and in me. Now, what he goes on to tell you is, you did not come to the mount that can be touched. In other words, he's trying to, don't go back to the kind of thing that can be touched. Under the old covenant, it was everything that can be touched. But Hebrews 12 started out in verse 1 by saying, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, the joy that is spoken of, is also in the book of Hebrews where he says, Thou hast anointed me with oil of joy above his fellows because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. 
He loves righteousness, and righteousness is what he gives to those on Mount Zion with him as a gift. Because in the new covenant, he knew. See, the reason Jesus endured the cross was because the joy would be he would be able to give to his people righteousness as a free gift. And this righteousness, because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we could reign in life. And these ones on Mount Zion are ruling and reigning with him. Uh, that's powerful. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, let me, t- let me, he said, you did not come to exceeding fear and you didn't come to quaking. You didn't come to the mountain that can be touched. But here's, the, here's what's powerful. Verse 22, but you are come. You are not coming to, but you are come to Mount Zion. Now, remember in Revelation 14, There's a lamb on Mount Zion, and there's 144,000 with him. Now, what I want to show you is that in Hebrews 12, the contrast here is that you did not come to blackness and darkness. That's Mount Sinai. That is law. That is in Arabia. And I would just submit to you that if you go and look at uh, uh, Galatians 4, especially in the Amplified Bible, he will tell you that even the Jerusalem, which now is, is out of Hagar, the natural physical genealogy uh, is, is, is Hagar, is Ishmael in Arabia and genders to bondage. She's still in bondage with her children. He's dealing with moving from that natural Jerusalem to a spiritual Jerusalem from an old covenant Sinai to a new covenant Zion. So Zion, we're in, in the New Testament, listen, according to what he's telling us in Hebrews 12, we're not marching to Zion. The redeemed of the Lord have returned and come with singing unto Zion. And you're going to see that as you get into the 14th chapter, because they sang as it were a new song. Hallelujah. And they are singing the song of the redeemed. They are singing, thou hast redeemed us. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I feel the Holy Spirit when I say that. But you are come to Mount Zion, under the city of the living God. You've, that's pow- you've come to the city of the living God. I'll deal with this scripture a lot more over the next couple of weeks. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. That's not my opinion. That's what the scripture says. You've come to Zion. You've come to the city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to an innumerable, literally a feastal gathering of angels. You've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And you've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. Now, what he's saying here is don't refuse him who's talking to you from Zion. Don't refuse him who's speaking to you from this new covenant. Do not, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth. That was the Sinai experience. They did not escape who heard him speak from Mount Sinai. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that's talking from heaven. So when we see him talking from heaven, I, I, there's so much here to say, uh, but he's, it, it, it is literally uh, uh, the new covenant is what heaven is declaring. Let me just say it like that. That way it's not so controversial. Whose voice, look at this, whose voice then shook the earth. That when he began to speak, uh, he said, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. 
And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So what he's talking about here, let me just finish the verse. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby, look at this, let, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. So when he says they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, he said if they didn't escape those who heard the word from Sinai, how much more will they not escape if they refuse the one who's talking from heaven? You see, the old covenant, uh, God came on Mount Sinai. It was the mount that you touched, felt, scared of. In the new covenant, it is God speaking from the new covenant. And he's saying to them that this voice that's coming from Mount Zion, this voice that's coming from the new covenant, this message that is being declared by us and so many more on television about grace and new covenant, which is so powerfully sweeping the earth, is shaking everything that can be shaking. There are probably preachers uh, or people listening to me that have listened to me teach over the last, and we, there's some stuff shaking in you. I'm telling you, see, God is shaking our theologies. God is shaking our thinking. God is shaking it because we're having to rethink how we do church. We're, th we're having to rethink what, what, what governs us now. If, in other words, if we're not under the law of Moses, what are we under? Well, we're under the kingdom of God. Under the law of Moses, it was rules on rocks. In the new covenant, it's a relationship that flows from the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, that is a massive paradigm shift. But can you imagine, you see the shaking that was going on right here culturally in this period of time, is literally, I mean, they are killing these apostles and men of God for preaching a message that looks like it's diametrically opposed to what they're teaching. Listen, just give me the, the grace as I teach something that may be different than others that just listen to it at least because, you know, uh, the reality of it is these guys were really radical. I mean, we live in a day when, you know, when those guys were preaching and things like, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're saying you don't have to be circumcised anymore. You, know, you don't have to go through the diver's washings. I mean, the, the, the rules were changing so drastically that you talk about shake the synagogue, shake the religious system, and the rulers of those synagogues were saying, man, if these guys are right, we're out of a job because this is going to shake everything to the core. And that's exactly what was happening. Everything that could be shaken was being shaken. God was giving them 40 years, just like he did in the wilderness coming out of Egypt into the promised land. He's given them 40 years from the prophecy of Jesus in 30 AD to 70 AD, 40 years to come out of this spiritual bondage. They've come out, but now he's wanting to bring them in. And everything that can be shaken has to be shaken, including its temple and everything that can be touched. And this great shaking that was going on is now occurring in the book of Revelation as he's about to shake the beast. He's about to make war with the system. And even heaven and earth are going to be shaken. And, you know, I, I, one of the things that I showed you in prior segments is in the writings of Josephus, Josephus declares that their temple to them was, as it were, the 
the gate of heaven and the holy place and their land was called uh, the land. So God has shaken the heavens and the earth and he was physically shaking it. And everything that could be shaken was about to be shaken and all of these elements were about to melt with the fervent heat in fulfillment of what Peter prophesied. The elements are about to melt with the fervent heat. And he goes on to say, then what's happening is everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. But here's the good news. What's shaken is we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So the fire that is coming is about to destroy everything of this system that is being dismantled so that we can have grace to serve God acceptably because everything that could be shaken was being shaken. But at the same time, the transition is this form of government is passing off of the scene and a kingdom form of government is coming on the scene. Those things literally and physically took place in This is not talking about some future shaking. When we get the right or the wrong president, or whether there's a war in the Middle East or anything else, the only shaking he was talking about is the transition from law to grace. And there may still be some shaking in your mind, but the physical dismantling and removing of this natural temple was the signifying of the fact that everything had become new. For while the first temple yet stood, the way into the holiest was not yet made. And when he tells them in Hebrews, uh, the 10th chapter, if you sin willfully and you go back, there remains no more sacrifice for sin and you do despite to the spirit of grace and you trample underfoot the blood of Jesus. What he's talking about there is not sinning and making mistakes since you've been saved. He's talking about if you go back to Judaism and you go back under law, once you've been enlightened, there's not another sacrifice coming. And what he's saying is that a certain fearful looking for fire indignation, which shall come upon his people to try them, that happened because if you are going to go back to animal sacrifice and back to blood sacrifices, you've got to walk back over the blood of Jesus and say the blood of Jesus was not enough and you do despite to the spirit of grace. And that's what God says that there remains no more sacrifice for sin. In other words, there's not another sacrifice coming. Tragically, a lot of people are preaching about a restored temple with a restored animal sacrifice to which I believe God would respond and say, don't go back refuse to sin, which means miss the mark and go back to Judaism. Everything that could be shaken was being shaken. There's a company on Mount Zion. Don't come back down off this mountain to go back to Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion and come with singing and rejoicing because you are the redeemed and you are standing with him on Mount Zion. We are out of time for this segment. Uh, please take a moment to call that number on the screen. If you like what you're hearing, become a part of it. Sow something into the ministry that will help us to continue to preach the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace and the new covenant around the world. We are impacting people on a huge level. Be part of something big today by calling today. Call us now or you go on our website and sow a seat in the ministry. God bless you. Thanks for watching. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.